This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest, while my sister and co-host, Jenna, tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margot, and Jenna is actually not with me right now. She is in this episode, but we previously recorded it. So I just wanted to tack a little intro on here and then also let you know that since we did the sense of place last time, there's no sense of place on this episode, but we did cut out about eight and a half minutes of intro from the last episode because we are listening to the listeners who are saying the intros are far too long and far too chatty. So we've been trying to to cut some of it out. Um, And I'm going to stick that right when I'm done talking at the top of this episode. So there is at least a little bit of a warm up before we jump into the part two of the Posey family murders. So I'll stop talking and, and just let you get into this little intro and then part two of the Posey family murders. And thank you guys so much for listening. Did just get... We got some awesome feedback. So before we jump into our sense of place, um, I wanted to share, I took some screenshots. Uh, Full, total, total transparency. We've gotten, we have a lot of, I don't want to say a lot. We have a handful, eh, a lot. I don't know. We have listeners who are super loyal, whether they have joined our Patreon or just listen regularly and message us on uh, Instagram, who regularly reach out and let us know how they like the episodes and this and that and share any information that they have like we have some really lovely listeners who are so engaged and and communicative and uh this has been a tough week for me personally um I've been just struggling this week I've felt a little bit sad a little bit down And so I have not been as active on social media or responding to messages. And I apologize for anyone who's messaged and I haven't gotten back to you, but I've, I haven't been up to it. Also, you'll get there at some point, even if it's in a month. I think it's cool. Maybe people forget they wrote in last week Mm -hmm. and then in one month you answer them. They're that's like, dope. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's there's true. no timeline too. That's true. Oh, there isn't. I try to be timely about it when I can, but I think Pete. It I had seems to take like a break. our listeners know that you have a life. Yeah. I'm all you have a life. I don't. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, that we like, have a life and things life happen. Happens. Life happens. Yeah, and I think I can't. I, I honestly sometimes forget. Like I, I've share. I share certain things on Patreon that I don't share other places. But I think I've been pretty open that like. Mark moved out. It's been a tough time. We're figuring it out, hopefully figuring it out in a positive way. But this week, it just, you know, it all kind of hit me and, it, and it's been tough. So I have not been good about responding. However, I did look at some messages this afternoon when Jenna was here. 
And we just have such interesting, interesting listeners. Uh, we've also gotten some interesting reviews, but I wanted to say thank you to Lori, who is one of our patrons. First of all, thank you to all of our patrons, but Lori, uh, you know, reached out and said that she was getting worried because she hadn't posted anything and she hopes that everything is is that you hadn't posted anything yeah or we yeah that i hadn't posted anything and and she and so she she's was sending her well wishes that she hopes things are getting better mika also i know sent a message saying the same thing um and then zeka left us some feedback um, saying that he loves the concept of a of a nothing podcast concept that Jenna mentioned. I don't know if that was on the actual episode or the bonus. Um, and he also shared some feedback about his his daughters. He allowed them to get tattoos at fourteen and sixteen because we I think we talked a lot about tattoos on the last. Why uh, not? Because they're gonna do it anyyways. So fourteen right. ver- 16, 14 versus eighteen, they're gonna do it totally. I mean, I don't know. Actually, if I delve deeper into my brain, I could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, he wants to go in the bedroom. That's fine. You let him in. Yeah, let them in for now. I'll check on them in a minute. So for listeners, if I leave this in, um, Henry, my, so Izzy's my bulldog. I'm sure everybody's aware of this. I post about the dogs all the time. Uh, Indiana, you know, is technically Mark's dog, but let's be honest, she's mine. And in the closet, yeah, it's motion center, censored. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're motion sensor. Yeah, it's my favorite thing. I think I posted about that. Um, but Henry, like occasionally, he's like the calmest, most sweetest, kind of like grandfather-like dog, even though he's only about six. But occasionally he'll go in my bedroom and just start humping and ripping apart my pillows. Can't figure it out. So I generally have to keep the bedroom door closed. But it's very warm, so I'm giving him a pass so that they hopefully can be comfortable. Where was I going? I was going to, I I started talking about feedback we've gotten. Um, Mika left us a comment saying that uh, our nothing, and she put it in quotes, you know, because we called it nothing, like nothing chit chat. Like we're just having a bonus episode about nothing. She said it makes her feel like she's at a girl's night. Um, And she was catching up on old bonus episodes and said that one of the most surprising things that we've shared about ourselves personally is that neither of us wants to be cremated. I don't know if I knew that that was a... I think I could have guessed that about you, but I don't think you've explicitly said that to me or I wasn't listening. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I I don't... I'm not like... You're not like me. Yeah, I'm not like you. That's right. I'm not like... I absolutely cannot be cremated. Which again, I I won't know. Right, that's how I feel. Kind of like but I don't, don't care. do it because I'll come back. I won't do. I won't do it. I already promised you that. I actually I'll responded to back. her, and I said, when I was younger, I wanted to be cremated. I remember wanting to be cremated when I was younger, but at this at this point in life, I I, I guess I feel like a little attached to myself, to my body. I don't want it to be burned up. I don't like that. What where a person goes, and again, I do believe that once I'm gone. I'm not saying my spirit or some spiritual realm won't be there, but like, sure. I don't think I'll know. Well, I can't say that. <laughs> I won't go there because this could be a whole nother podcast. You know what? But We're also gonna- I want to donate my, I'd like to donate my body to science, science and the sure. rest be just thrown in the ground. I think we should talk about this on our nothing bonus okay, episode yeah. that we're going to record Pause tomorrow. It. Yeah. 
Don't forget that. Just a few more things from listeners. One of our patrons, Timothy, said, he responded, I think, to one of our bonus episodes and said, it's so funny, I have the same relationship with my sister where I'm eccentric and overly open, but my sister is private as fuck. Yeah, from what we've shared, that is an accurate assumption. Totally. Also, you have to keep that in. Jeez, what a weird little dog. But yes, that's an accurate assumption based on what we've shared. Yeah. Um, he also said that he can wiggle his ears. I don't know anybody else except for Papa who could wiggle his ears. Their ears? Their ears. Is that genetic? <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. I, assu- uh, I I think I think probably the, whatever that word that I can't think of is the proclivity, not proclivity, the like, tendency to do it easily is maybe a bit of a... Ability? Yeah, the, yeah. I guess that's accurate <laughs> is genetic but also I think it's a muscle like people can it sh- is also remember how we said your ears and your nose as you get older get bigger I know the third thing remember I kept saying there's a third thing oh what is it your feet and oh. I don't know if that's true but that's what whatever has been said your ears nose and feet get bigger as wow. you get older I'm okay I don't know with that. if that's my true my feet are not that big so I'm fine with my feet getting bigger I would love it if my nose didn't get bigger my nose is enormous. I'd be fine with it to get smaller. Why is that not the case? Because <sighs> you're getting older. I know. Did I, you just get cash? I did. I just got paid for my dog walking today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I meant to screenshot something that I didn't. Somebody sent us a message saying... And I, I, I wish that I could remember because I wanted to say thank you. But sent us a message saying that she loved the Brownsville child murders so much. Like she thought that they were some of her favorite episodes. Charday, maybe? I don't know. I can't remember. I didn't take a screenshot. But that's nice to hear because those were tough episodes. I didn't love them. I know you didn't. As an episode, though, as a listener... Probably perhaps really good. Yeah. But just as a. Well, you're kind of like you're. I don't. I don't know. I think as a listener. You're one more step removed. Mm-hmm. Like I'm researching it and telling yeah, I'm you. A step, and then you're a step removed from me. But I think in a way you're a more step removed or you've had your natural reactions right. and responses while researching. Oh, my gosh. I never thought of that until you said it. you're responding on in the moment. Like the day you text me tomorrow's episode, well, guess what? I cried last night. I'm all, oh, wonderful. Like, yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it is, which is fine. I, I'm here for it. But also, the, sometimes I'm quiet. Like that one, I think I was quite You were very quiet. Quiet. Because I actually, when I was editing it, I was like, where's Jenna? Like, there's no Jenna in this episode. Because well, I can't react and respond to certain things. That's totally fair. In a authentic way until I process it it. a little bit yeah and that's I think that's that was a fair one okay that is it for our intro let's go ahead and jump into part two of the Posey family murders hope you enjoy it so on January 11th 2006 Cody Cody obviously was Remanded into custody after this confession. Stayed there for a long time. He was still a juvenile though, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He was 14 when this all went down. 
And on January 11th, 2006, a judge ruled Cody's videotaped confession as admissible, meaning it would be included in the trial, which was a big deal because during that confession, he didn't have a lawyer present. He obviously didn't have his parents present. And his defense attorney tried to argue that Cody was not mature enough to understand what it meant when the police told him that he is waiving his right to counsel. He was 14 years old, which I think is reasonable. I agree. It is reasonable. How and could also, he possibly understand that? Whether he could or he couldn't, he couldn't by law, right? Whether he, that to, to me, it's like... It doesn't matter because well, by matter. law he waived it. He by he, law he waived it. Yep, and he probably couldn't. And even if by law, I guess if by law he hadn't waived it, it would be a different story. But he did. he waived it and then confessed. Yep. So the videotape was admitted into the trial as evidence. And on January sixteenth, two thousand six, at sixteen years old now. Cody stood trial for killing his father, stepmother, and stepsister. He would be tried as a youthful offender, granting the 12th district judge, James Whalen Counts, the authority to choose between treating him as a minor or as an adult if he was found guilty. Because he was 16. That's that age. Get and that's the law in New Mexico. Well, yeah, that's the law in a lot of places, I believe. 16. And it's, yeah, that it's up to the judge at that right. point. Yeah. So Cody's defense attorney, Gary Mitchell, in the trial, never denied that Cody murdered the family. He couldn't. He confessed. That was obvious. Instead, he suggested that the murder happened as a result of years of abuse and disassociation. Many of Cody's teachers, classmates, and fellow ranch hands served as defense witnesses and corroborated Cody's claims that his father, stepmother, and even stepsister abused Cody with shovels, whips, rocks, a hay hook, a cattle prod, and countless other tools common of ranch life, in addition to using their own fists and cruel, demeaning words. And I wasn't sure what a hay hook was, so a little side note, I looked it up. I mean, I had an idea what it was, but I just wanted to know for sure. Do you know what it is? Like specifically? To gather the hay, those big, wide rakes. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I thought, but I, like, I wanted to, I, feel, I felt like that's something I wasn't sure. So a hay hook is a tool commonly used in agriculture for handling bales of hay. It's a metal rod or handle with a curved or pointed hook. I mean, it just looks like a fishing hook, but a giant one. Um, it's designed to penetrate and grasp the compacted hay bales, allowing for easier lifting and stacking. And so um, apparently Paul would, when, when he didn't think that Cody was doing something correctly, he would ask Cody to lay his hand out and he would take the hay hook and slam it into Cody's hands. He verbally abused him, mentally abused him, manipulated him, uh, I'm sure all the things, right? Physically, obviously Physically, abused sexually. him. Well, yeah, sexually. And I bet that goes, uh, we don't need to go there. But what you told me, this little cusp of potential what's mm -hmm. trying to be sexual abuse, oh my gosh, that goes way deeper. Of course it does. Oh. And you just led me into my next point that oh, the defense okay. really highlighted in the case. The defense made a point of highlighting evidence of 
incestuous pornography, which was found on Paul Posey's computer, the only computer in the home that had access to the internet. There were multiple searches for sex with daughter or free incest stories found in the search history. And they also found that Mary Lee and Cody's computers not only didn't have internet, but the times that these searches were performed on the computer, on Paul's computer that did have internet, the kids were at school. So the only person who possibly could have been around would have been Trion or Paul. What happened to Cody? So the prosecution painted a picture of Cody that was very different than what the defense would paint. They claimed that the child abuse allegations were vast exaggerations. They depicted Cody as a cold-blooded killer who wanted to get rid of his family simply because they forced him to do chores and get good grades. They focused heavily on the manner in which Cody carried out the murders, honing in on that Cody's actions were premeditated, calculated, and very cold-blooded. The opening statements for the prosecution were as follows. It was a day that dawned as bright as any other day on the Sam Donaldson ranch, but that was a brightness that soon was to be dimmed in horror because Cody Posey decided his world would be better off without his family. He made an unbelievably vicious and selfish decision that his belief was more important than the most basic universal human belief of all, that all life is precious. The prosecution drove home the idea that the actions taken by Cody, breaking the window, dumping the bodies, things like that, proved that he was aware of the fact that murdering his family was a crime. It was wrong. They were gunning for three counts of first-degree murder, and they wanted to make it clear that this, that this case was not the case of a battered wife case, which was kind of what the defense was going for. The prosecution said, this is not an issue about a battered woman. Battered women don't kill their husband and then turn around and kill their sister and their kids. The prosecution went on by saying, ladies and gentlemen, the first thing we want to know is why. Why? But there is no legal need to prove why. The legal need is to prove how these killings occurred, where they occurred, and who committed them. Cody Posey himself answers these questions. And then they played Cody's confession tape. The prosecution also vehemently denied that this was the case of an abused boy who just snapped. Uh, the main prosecutor, Sandra Grisham, said, if his father had come, come up to him and slapped him in the corral, and then Cody had taken the rake and beaten his father to death and then shown a great deal of remorse afterwards, that's different. But you don't snap and lose your mind and then, let's see, I've got to replace these bullets with bullets that will actually do the job. You don't describe killing people as hitting them. If you noticed in his confession, he actually used an assassin term. Because Cody did in his confession say, I hit my father in the head. Instead of saying I shot him, he said I hit him. They're focusing on every little thing they can. So the prosecution questioned Cody on the stand. Sandra Grisham, the main prosecutor, she said, Cody, in fact, you remember a lot more incidences than you told any of the doctors about the abuse, didn't you? Cody said, I believe so, yes, ma'am. She said, when did you remember all of those? Never mind, Your Honor, withdraw the question, pass the witness. She wanted, she was trying to make the jury see that he was a liar, that he didn't, 
come forward with all the instances of abuse. She wanted to paint him as a, as a rebellious, difficult teen. She said, you had a lot of problems with lying, didn't you? A lot of arguments over lying, right? And he said, in my past, I have lied. Yes, ma'am. And she said, stolen? He said, I have stolen one time. She said, cheated? He said, I believe so, but I, I think it was just in a card game. And she said, so you only cheated one time? He said, to my recollection. She said, do you did illegal drugs? He said, I believe, as I explained earlier, I experimented with marijuana. And then she called her own expert witness, a psychiatrist from the University of South Florida who's an expert on kids who kill. And she asked him, what was he thinking? What did he report to you that he was thinking, doctor? And the doctor said, I asked him, should he run away? Should he tell a teacher or tell, his, tell the authorities? Or should he just live with the abuse? And the prosecutor said, and did he tell you what he decided to do? Dr. Myers said, yes. In his words, he said, nothing else works. Might as well just do it. So I did. After this testimony, it seemed that the jury was very much behind the prosecution. But then Cody took the stand to share his side of the story and be questioned by his defense team. The first thing Cody said was, to the judge, I wanted a family. Sir, I wanted to please everybody that I could to make a family. I wanted to be the kid that my dad said, you know what, look, that's my son. He also detailed a long list of abuse that he suffered. Cody said, when I was younger, when I was a kid and I had loose teeth, I would mess with them and wiggle them around in my mouth. My father would pop me, hit me in the jaw to knock the tooth out and say, there, now you'll stop playing with it. His defense lawyer, Gary Mitchell, said, how were you awakened in the days that you worked on the ranch? Cody said, I was shocked with a hot shot, which is an electric cattle prod. Cody also detailed the events that unfolded the night before. He said, quote, as I stood at the front of the bed, Trione pulled down the covers and she was laying there completely naked. My dad striked up the torch and told me that I was going to have sex with Trione, but I refused to do it. I told him I wasn't going to do it. And as I was telling him I wasn't going to do it, he was heating up this rod. As he burned me, he told me to do it again. And I said, no. I remember Trion scooting down the bed to the foot of the bed. She grabbed my head, put it into her breasts. And at that time, to make her let go of me, I remember biting her. As I bit her, I got burned another time and another time and another time with the rod. Cody's defense attorney argued that it was the sexual abuse that ultimately pushed Cody over the edge. He said it was a culminating factor. I expect at that point in time, the child realized, wait a second, this has gone to an altogether different level. It seemed that the incest testimony hit home with the jury, but it still didn't answer the question, why did Cody shoot his stepsister, 13-year-old Marilee? Cody's defense had an answer for that. This was a situation in which he reacted to the three of them and what had been happening to him all his life, and that, as a child, he's unable to discriminate and distinguish between the three actors. 
The defense wanted to paint a picture of just how terrified Cody was of his father. They called witnesses who described just how severely Cody reacted at his mother's funeral when he learned he would have to go back with his father at just 10 years old. One woman said he was devastated. He was crying like nothing you've ever seen before. It was like a horror movie. A science teacher also took the stand and described a disturbing parent-teacher conference. They were screaming and hollering and carrying on, both of them at the same time. Cody began sobbing, and I was in shock. And Paul turned to Cody and said, you're going to get it when we get home. You know what's going to happen. But the most compelling witness to speak on Cody's behalf was Marilee's biological father, who was 100% on Cody's side and did not want him to be blamed for killing his daughter. Jake Schmid was quoted as saying that he did not blame Cody. He said, Cody doesn't need to be punished for this. He didn't do it. Paul and Trion did this. Paul and Trion made Cody do this. They created him and they made him the weapon that caused their death and my daughter Marilee's death. In total, the defense called three dozen witnesses to the stand who all corroborated Cody's accounts of ongoing brutal abuse. They closed their arguments by saying, in the end, ladies and gentlemen, it is this. How much do we demand of a child? How much do we ask him to tolerate? And do we allow them to defend themselves? Do we allow them to de defend themselves from the rapes, from the beatings? Cody's fate now lay in the hands of the jury, with whom the judge offered a parting word of advice before they headed to deliberate. He reminded the jury, self-defense means immediate danger. Cody would have had to be facing an immediate threat to his life to kill his family in self-defense. Finally, on Tuesday, February 7th, 2006, after the seven women and five men of the jury deliberated for 12 hours, they reached their verdict. Cody Posey received first-degree murder in the death of his stepsister, second-degree murder in the death of his stepmother, and voluntary manslaughter in the death of his father. He was also found guilty of four charges of evidence tampering. But although the jury had made their final decision, they did not have the final say. In fact, what the jury decided seemingly was less important than what the judge was about to decide due to the fact that in children's court in New Mexico, a judge has the final word. The judge would be the one to decide whether to sentence Cody as a child or as an adult, which meant that Cody could get something as slight as probation, in which case he would be off in a few months, or he could get life in adult prison. First-degree murder carried a maximum life sentence with parole not happening for 30 years. Second-degree murder carries a 20-year maximum. So right before his sentencing, sentencing hearing, something unheard of that, I mean, I, I'm sure it's happened, but nothing that many people have heard of happened. Seven of the jury members sent handwritten letters to the judge begging him to not send Cody to prison and to not sentence him as an adult and sentence him as a child instead. 
At his sentencing hearing, the prosecution pressed for him to be sentenced as an adult, while the defense, of course, argued that he was a child and should be sentenced as such and given a chance for rehabilitation. Cody was the final person to address the judge in his sentencing hearing, and he said, During the past two months, you've heard accusations of me being a liar, a psychopath. You've heard that I'll kill again or end up back in the courtroom, but I can tell you right now that I will never kill again. And on February 23, 2006, Cody was sentenced by Judge Counts as a juvenile and ordered to remain in the custody of juvenile authorities until he reached the age of 21. Hearing his sentencing, Cody displayed a generally composed demeanor as he had throughout the whole trial. But towards the end of hearing his sentence, he lowered his head onto the defense table, overcome with what, I mean, I can only assume is grief and relief and his attorney embraced him. Why do you think grief? Grief of what? I think grief of... Because he still has connection to his father? Yeah, I think the whole... I think the whole... situation, I mean... I don't know... I can't imagine in such a short time he felt anything much for his stepmother, but like, his father, as much as he hated him, yeah, he probably felt something, I would imagine. Um, his, uh, his aunt and custodial guardian, Corlise Cleese, uh, who had been an advocate for him throughout all of this, she immediately crumbled into tears and collapsed onto the floor and eventually had to be assisted by paramedics carried out on a stretcher because she was happy that he was tried as a juvenile, but also worried that, uh, he would end up getting into trouble and, and not making his way out of the system, basically. Well, look at what he endured and survived already. I think he'll be okay in juvenile. And I have no idea how this ends, but I feel like if he endured what he endured and survived what he survived, I get once you get into the system, I think he'll be okay. Following the verdict, Verlin Posey, uh, Paul... Cody's dad's brother, so uh, Cody's uncle, said he felt the ver verdict was a compromise. He said one lifetime in prison is a pretty small debt for three lives. Uh, Verlin had always been on Paul's side, had said he wasn't abusive, he didn't see signs of abuse. Cody's defense lawyer, Gary Mitchell, after the verdict said, children expect, never expect horrible things to happen. He thinks there's some type of justice in this world. We put the blame on a 14-year-old for the sins and omissions of the adults around him. This could have been prevented if those adults who stood by came forward. Yet we expect him to act with greater courage. Uh, Cody was sent to and remained in, juvenile, in a juvenile facility where he struggled initially to adjust. He got into several fights. He got into a little bit of trouble. But quickly he pulled it together. He completed his GED and he ev even went on to complete uh, the equivalent of two years of college credit and he served as a mentor to other youth in the facility. While he was in this juvenile facility after the trial, some interesting information regarding Paul's parents, Jay and Linda Posey, came to light. It turned out that Paul's father was also incredibly abusive, not only to his kids, but also to his wife. 
even pushing her out of a moving vehicle at one point in their marriage. And in February 1995, Paul's mother shot his father while he was sleeping and then shot herself at their ranch in Roswell, New Mexico. In response to this information coming out, Paul's brother Verlin said, My dad and Paul weren't abusive. They were just hard men. As for Cody, during his time in the detention center, he's quoted as saying, I want to go to fathering classes. I would like to know how to become a good parent. Being that I only knew one father's way, I need to learn more. In April of 2010, he was transferred to a transitional rehabilitation facility. And October 9th, 2010, his 21st birthday, he's officially released back into society as a free man. And since then, no one has heard anything about him, which I take to be a great thing. Because what the prosecution people kept saying is, oh, it's going to happen again. He's a murderer. He's a cold-blooded killer. It will happen again. And thir- well, he was released in 2010, so 13 years later, there hasn't been a nothing. No incidents, nothing. And I'm not saying that doesn't... In my mind, I like to believe that that means that he has moved out of New Mexico, gotten on with his life, and is doing something wonderful. To me, that means his abuser is dead and can no longer hurt him. I'm not justifying his actions. I'm saying it didn't come out of nowhere. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Just means what it is. Of course, I agree with that. And I actually have a few follow-up questions, but... Um, there were some people who I mentioned in the story who did have comments after Cody was sentenced and in his juvenile detention center. Um, people have spoken up about the guilt that they felt for not having reported their suspicions over the years. Uh, you remember Slim Bertan, the ranch hand at the Donaldson Ranch, he said, if I had to do it all over again, yeah, I'd be calling the sheriff I'd call the state police, I'd call the governor, whoever I had to call, I'd be doing it that way. And Alvira Lerma, whose husband worked on the ranch, said, I think everybody felt helpless. We could have all done something together, and none of us stood up when we knew what was going on. And Sheriff Tom Sullivan said, I believe there was abuse, I believe there was, but it wasn't reported, we didn't know about it. Maybe we could have prevented this if we had. So I think that's a sad reminder that um, there can be devastating consequences from abuse that nobody does anything about. Beyond that, there were a few other miscellaneous uh, things. On September 25th, 2006, Cody was named in a wrongful death lawsuit on behalf of the surviving Posey relatives. Um, They also named Grand Theft Auto creator Rockstar Games, um, publisher Take-Two Interactive and PlayStation 2 manufacturer Sony, alleging that Cody was trained by the video game GTA to be more aggressive and a more efficient killer. The lawsuit was filed in 2006 And an attorney for the relatives told the Albuquerque Journal that the 
the lawsuit was largely symbolic. He does not expect his clients to ever collect the money they were suing for. Um, but he said it will be a basis for future efforts to garnish any potential income that Cody could gain from these murders. They don't want him to profit from any stories, movies, etc., cetera, uh, made off of this story. Was he trying to profit off of this? Absolutely not. Of course not. And in 2010, a judge awarded $87 million to the relatives of Cody's deceased family members. And for anyone who has any interest in this and might look it up because this happened to me, uh, there is another Cody Posey out there. And I went down like a rabbit hole of like, oh, because I was trying to find where he is now and what happened to him and how he's doing. Um. There's another Cody Posey who was involved in an auto accident that resulted in two deaths. And there's a lot of information on him. It's not the same Cody. Uh, and there is also a book about this called Driven to Murder by Robert Scott, which is available on well, Amazon. about the other Cody or about this? About this. About this. Yeah, that was confusing. Sorry. Yeah, about this. Um, for anyone who, who might want to learn more. And I, down, I did buy it and downloaded it. And it's really interesting. Very interesting does give a, a a deeper look into this entire story. So I support that this Cody Posey, whether wanting and warranted, he went off the map. Of course. The internet map. I'm not saying he like went into hiding. But Absolutely. I can completely respect that. So I listened to there's really not a lot of there's only two pot there's a few podcasts, but two bigger podcasts that covered this. And I listened to them and one of them had an interesting, one of them really focused on that. They couldn't believe that Mary Lee, a 13 year old girl would have a gun in her saddle. Well, that's stupid because they don't live on a ranch. Exactly. I'm sorry. As ex- literally you have to protect yourself against snakes. In my head, I was like, well, you other clearly things. do not you live, don't live in the Southwest. In the Southwest sorry. and you I, don't live on I a ranch. I don't live on a ranch. I don't either, but But I I don't find that surprising at all. If you have a 13-year-old who you train and teach to use a gun and goes out on horseback, you better believe they would have a gun. Even if you don't train and teach and you just hand it to them, I'm not saying that's right, but I I have a lot of experience on a ranch, and guess what? There's a lot of things out there. A lot of danger. So that was something that just surprised me about one of the podcasts I listened to. And the other one, they had a... A big conversation, and I'm not I'm not saying we should, but I'm interested. They talked about whether the punishment met the crime and whether they, you know, I don't think, I think it's undeniable that it's horrible what Cody went through. But one of these podcasters kept saying that he can't get past that he killed his stepsister and that's unforgivable and he should have been punished further. And I, I, I'm, I don't know. So I, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on it. Well, then Jenna's shaking her head no. So I'm going to pose that to our listeners. Um, Based on this, we'd love to hear if you guys think the punishment meant the crime, um, if or just your thoughts on this in general. And I don't know. I don't know my thoughts about that, but I will say that I really hope that Cody is living a wonderful life. So you do have thoughts because you just said you're hoping he's living a wonderful life. So you have thoughts on if the punishment met the crime. So let me pose to you. Did the punishment meet the crime? I think killing his stepsister was 
extreme and and probably unnecessary. But at the time, he didn't know he was going to confess. He thought he was going to try and get away with it, and he felt that that was a necessary measure to take in getting rid of his father. So I, I don't know. Yes, I largely think yes. He served time. He was a young child who had been abused since he was a baby, and he deserves a chance at a normal life. So, yeah, I, I, I that is my immediate reaction it's all tragic but yeah yeah I I do I I I hope that Cody is doing well because if you can do well after living a life like that like wow (sighs) that's incredible but we want to hear from you tell us what you think um and and if anybody I mean I searched high and low <laughs> no, I I searched high and low for for like where is Cody now, and good for him that he is unfindable. But man, it'd be cool to hear that he was like doing something awesome, or not, or just happy or peaceful. I think it it just means either it means something that we don't know, yeah. emptiness that we don't know, or he's doing okay and is doing okay period and or doing okay and actively avoiding the public eye which makes total sense yeah um all right that's it we want to hear from you guys what do you think about this one what do you think and thank you for listening hug your loved ones i want to say that even though i don't typically on the main episodes hug your loved ones and is Um, it time to say the other thing sure good night and good luck night guys good Good luck. (laughs) Bye, guys. (laughs) Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase. Good night and good luck. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.